Did you know that Miami-Dade County is the largest hub of America's sex trafficking industry? Good thing Shakira and J-Lo broke out the stripper poles and danced provocatively half-naked to show those sex slave masters about female empowerment. Today we discuss the family-unfriendly Super Bowl halftime show. Plus, Acts Chapter 8 and a new guest in the podcast studio. I just got back from Guatemala. Buenas noches, mis amigos. Estas es el final profundo con Tim Hatch. Yes, it is the Deep End back again from a two-week hiatus. My name is Tim Hatch. I'm the host of the Deep End Show, and I'm so glad that you're here. Like and subscribe us on YouTube.com if you haven't already. Very important that you go to YouTube.com slash the Deep End TV. Like and subscribe. Follow us on that all-important YouTube channel. I keep pushing it because you're going to help grow the deep end the more that you subscribe over there. So if you watch it anywhere else or listen anywhere else, that's fine. But please like and subscribe it on the YouTube.com slash the deep end TV channel. Okay, so welcome into the studio today. Special new guest and hopefully regular to the deep end, Jody Bowden over here to my right. Hello, Jody. Hello. Wow, a regular. All right, I'll sign myself up for that. Let's do it. Well, this is your tryout. Let's see how you do. (laughs) Put me in, coach. I can do it. (laughs) Jody, for those of you who are just listeners or watchers of the Defend Only, is a new pastor at our church here in North Attleboro, Massachusetts, Waters Church. He is our executive pastor of Next Gen Ministries. So anybody, mid-20s and younger, that's your realm of authority and opportunity to minister. So we're glad to have you on staff here, but we're especially glad today to have you on the deep end. Say hello in the chat. Tell Jody hello and let us know where you're watching from. Um, So tell us just a quick synopsis of who you are for the audience. Just So So I am the executive pastor of Next Gen Ministries here, uh, passionate about children. Why? Because I have five myself, a small troop of kids. Amen. uh, Last name's Bowden. We call them the Bowden Brood Ooh. at home. Um, so I just, you know, that's my thing. I, you know, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I'm not going to grow this church. You know, I might get a couple of people to come in here. Some people might be like, hey, I really like that guy. The future of this church are those kids. Yeah. You know, keeping them here when they're young, mm-hmm. getting them empowered and, and strengthened when they're in their youth. Love it. And then as they're 20, saying, hey, this is the place where you want to grow your family. Yes and what you want to be a part of. And that's what I'm passionate about. And children's ministry was part of my story in the faith. Youth ministry was especially part of my story. And then young, young adult ministry was my story too. All the way through uh, church gave me everything that I have in my life because of great ministries, albeit very flawed ministries in those in those age ranges. But I think we do a, a lot of things well. I think you're already doing a great job for Waters Church. And I'm so glad to have you here uh, in on the staff. And those of you who are part of Waters Church just know we're going to continue to invest and and give resources to your kids because you said the future or the future of this church is the future of the global church. Yes, the young people. So we want to be all about that. Um, glad to see Jody here. We're going to get into the deep end news. Deep end news. The news you choose if you could choose news. Okay, so can you say double standard? Uh, If you want to be taken seriously about your issues in the public square, please do not make blatant public statements in the exact opposite direction. (laughs) Of course, I'm talking about the Super Bowl halftime show. Uh, This is the Tuesday after the Super Bowl in America, Super Bowl 54, if you're watching this much later in life. Uh, Super Bowl 54 between the Chiefs and the 49ers, and yay for the Chiefs. That was great. 
good to see the Chiefs win, right? Well, I'm a Raiders fan. Oh, so yeah, that's no. right. I'm sorry. You said that before the show. Okay, no, it's all right. Fan. You just want to dig it in. That's fine. We'll, we'll, keep, we'll keep living through till next year. It's uh, fine. The only thing that I cared about was that the 49ers didn't win a sixth Super Bowl. I'm, I'm, I'm like one of those yes. people. I'm that deep into it that I only want the Patriots to be... At know, the top echelon. At the top, yeah. Well, the Steelers and the Patriots, I guess, right now. But next year, when Brady wins his seventh, then they'll, they'll be the top. But anyway, uh, it was great for the Chiefs. Good to see them win. Good for Andy Reid. Um, but this was a travesty of epic proportions if you ask me the super bowl halftime show you watched it i well yes part of it yeah until my kids were in the room sure uh i didn't see it i didn't see it at all and i almost wanted to do research and watch it and i said nah, not based on what i'm hearing yes no so uh, just keep my comments in mind the fact that i have not actually seen it nor do i plan on seeing it <laughs> um and i'm just gonna make these comments based on what i've heard and read by reputable sources yes so your thoughts well you know it starts the Super Bowl itself is a great opportunity for me and my kids to sit around, yeah. have a good time. Funny commercials, Family. exactly. So Funny I'm thinking, what's, you know, we'll watch the Super Bowl, we'll watch the halftime show. It'll be a, a great event for us all. Uh, and as soon as Sh- Shakira came out and I saw what she was wearing, I immediately kind of got put on guard. Yeah. So I remember putting my hand on the remote, yeah, on the last channel button, and be like, all right, let's, let's be ready to go anywhere we need to go right now. Uh, and there was a point where my kids, you know, she, uh, I think uh, J-Lo come, came sliding out on her knees, and I had to, like, change it. And my kids were like, Dad, I was watching that. And my mm. first thought was, yeah, I know. Yeah. That's the problem. And good for you. <laughs> you should not have been watching that. You know, how many parents, how many kids don't have a dad to do that, or a mom that will do that, or anything, that would, anyone that will do that? And people think, oh, it's harmless entertainment. It's not harmless, and that's the problem. You know, as a pastor, this is my problem, is that the fact is that our culture wants to say one thing and then do another thing. And it's like, I say it, on, I said it on Twitter, too, uh, at, at Tim Hatch Live uh, on Twitter, but they want to say, me too, which is, you know, respect women, don't treat them as sex objects, don't sexually harass them, and then they want to act like sex objects and exploit their bodies for promotion, for entertainment purposes, to grab the attention of men, because really, well, I guess went men and women too, because this is the fact of the human condition. I know this. I'm sure, Jody, you will agree and attest to this. And Minnesota Mike over in the booth as well. Men okay. will always be attracted to the female form. The visualization of the female form is always going to be an alluring aspect of the world for the male brain. And it's not, to, it's not being unspiritual to admit that. It's not being unchristian to admit that, right? Absolutely. Yeah, fully agree. You know, Billy Graham had that rule. No, never alone with a woman for that reason, saying very humbly, I think, I am also susceptible to this temptation, and I do not want to put myself in a, sp- in a place or a space where I could give in to it. You know, well, he, would have, he would have elevators checked to sit, make sure there was no women in there before he got in them. And uh, what were you going to yeah, say? Yeah, I mean, you think about, talking about that temptation, you think... When something like the Super Bowl, mm. I imagine the amount of families, parents out there that thought, oh, this is a safe space. I can send my son to his room by himself to watch this. I can send my oh, daughter sure, to her yeah. room. to It's the Super Bowl. Why can't they? Of course. And then this is what comes up, and now you've got to be on guard. If you're not studious enough yourself to be watching the Super Bowl in another room, you have no idea what your son or daughter just watched for the past 10 minutes. Yeah. I mean, Franklin Graham put it very well on his Twitter. He said, we see that disappearing before our eyes. Uh, it was demonstrated tonight in the uh, Pepsi Super Bowl halftime show with millions of children watching. Uh, this exhibition was Pepsi showing young girls 
that sexual exploitation of women is okay with the exploitation of women on the rise worldwide instead of lowering the standard as we as a society should be raising it. I'm disappointed in Pepsi and in the NFL. I can't agree. I couldn't agree more. Uh, this is Lila. I can't pronounce her last name very well. Mick Mikhail Wyatt, uh, director of Abolition for Exodus Cry, an organization that fights sexual exploitation and the sex industry. She writes on Twitter during the Super Bowl, we saw fully clothed men getting applause for their skill, strength, and talent. We then saw half-dressed, hypersexualized women getting applause for grinding their blanks and writhing on, a, writhing on a stripper pole. What's the message here for boys and girls watching? And she makes an important point, and that is the Super Bowl basically obliterates another narrative of secularists in our culture that say men and women are the same. Men and women are the same. They can do all the same things, and there's no difference. And let's, let's continue to uh, gray out the distinction between men and women which is a bad thing. Christians should be against that. And I, I can't stress this enough. I, and every time I say this from the stage in our sanctuary, I feel people getting quiet and like almost some, at least a lot of younger people, I think getting silently offended that I would suggest that because they see it as an affront to their, maybe their personal ambitions, their goals, their dreams, their desires, their, their, this belief that, you know, the Zootopian, the Zootopian reality, that I can be whatever I want to be, which is a, fable. You can't be whatever you want to be. Like, I would have loved to have been a center for the Boston Celtics, you know, at 18 years old, from the years 18 to 38. <laughs> I would have loved to have been the starting center for the Boston Celtics. I could not be that. Okay. So you can't be whatever you want. Anyway, this blurring of the lines between men and women, where you have, and what she says is exactly right, men getting praised for strength, power, agility, talent, women getting praised for being very sexual. Okay, no one wants to watch, well, okay, maybe gay men and a few strange women want to watch men <laughs> dancing suggestively or sexually, right? No, no, that's, not a, that's not a huge play in culture. But women doing that, huge play, which, which just basically says women and men are different. They said it. They said it with what they presented. Men do this, women do that, and nary the twain shall be opposite because the WNBA is, is not a a popular sport, right? Absolutely. There's, right. There's, there's, um, there's no female football league that I know of that's popular. There's uh, no there is. Not the popular, but there is one, and it's the lingerie. Oh, uh, my gosh, that's right. Right. So that's, yeah, they do have their own <laughs> football right, league, but you have to wear lingerie to be in it. Exactly. Men and women are different. They cannot do the same things. And you can get mad at me. You can get upset. You can think that's hindering your dreams. I think you've just, you're just way too sensitive. You need to realize that we're different by design. In Scripture, this is clearly enunciated. Equal in uh, value and worth, different by design. Now, there's one other thing that I want to share with you, and that's an article by Heidi Stevens. Um, this is a Me Too person from the Chicago Tribune. She writes an article titled, Where Jennifer Lopez and Shakira's Unapologetically Sexy Halftime Show Fits Into Hashtag Me Too. Basically, she's trying to uh, be an apologist for the Me Too movement and the halftime show at the same time, which I don't think you can be both. I don't think no, you can do that. It's talking out of both sides of your mouth. You can't do that. Exactly. And she's basically saying that the Me Too movement uh, is not meant, she basically says this in the article, is not meant to police women's sexuality and set up a flare when a woman falls from her purity pedestal. It's not a wobbly construct that relies on women shunning sex and sexuality lest the whole movement fall like a house of cards. The Me Too movement is, this is her direct quote, at least in part, a reclaiming and reframing of female sexuality um, 
that sort of separate, uh, she, uh, let me read this actually exactly. It is an ongoing discussion that asks us to acknowledge some hard truths. For far too long, women have been treated as conquests, bodies to lay claim to and wield power over and use for pleasure, whether the women who inhabit those bodies liked it or not. That sort of separating of the woman from her body leads to sexual harassment and sexual assault. Wrong, Heidi Steven. No. <laughs> um, when we separate uh, a woman from her body, uh, yes, in theory, we, we, can we can then say, okay, let me use her for my sexual exploitation. But the problem is, is that a woman's body is a, a woman. It is part of who she is. It is who she is, her body. You can't separate these two things. And we have to realize that this is an old heresy that is as old as the church called Gnosticism, where we separate the body from the spirit. And anybody you know, who, who, who talks about this, there's this separation. There's these two parts of you. No, there's not. There's you, you. Right. There's spiritual you and emotional you and physical you, and all of them are one together. They all, they all affect each other. They all uh, work together. And the Me Too movement does not bring those together. No, 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 no. Uh, that is just a reality of the human condition. Um, but we always like to pretend that we can separate, and here's, I'm, I hope I'm getting, getting, getting clearer. We want to pretend that we can separate the woman's sexuality from who she is. You cannot separate that. Her body is who she is. So if she chooses to exploit the body, she is going to be seen as a sexually provocative person, no matter what she does. And when, fact. And when you look at this Super Bowl halftime show, these are two very talented women. I mean, during the show, very. Shakira played the drums. She played the guitar. She sang. She danced. Yes. So why do you have to be in half clothing to do those things for people to appreciate how amazing of an individual you are? You have to add on top of it the sexuality and the scantily clad clothing so that you can get more appreciation. It's not yes. necessary. Right. And so you've got to see this. Uh, for what it is. It is the culture talking out of both sides of its mouth. It is trying to reconcile what it wants to say, which is a good thing, by the way. We should not sexually exploit women. That is a good thing. I agree. At the same time, you cannot then sexually exploit popular women yes. for the sake of clicks or attention or promotion. You can't do both. I know you want to have... Uh, there's a lot of seculars. They want to have it that way. I want my sexuality to be my own freedom of expression, and you to interpret it rightly according to my standards. You cannot impose that on other people. The human heart is dark. The human heart, if you read the scriptures, you get this. The human heart is full of evil. You can't control it. And, and, and there's, no amount of, uh, there's no amount of hashtagging <laughs> that'll change the heart. Right. So if you choose to take your body and use it in that way, you must expect it will make worse the problem of our culture of using women as, seeing them as sexual objects and sexual conquests for the self-glorification of the male gender. Fact. Yeah. There's no changing that. And it worked because it, their music sales went up 1,000%. I, I know, yeah. 1,000% because of that. Very sad because that's the thing now. now. Now a whole host, a whole generation, younger generation of girls, has been taught that's how you get uh, clicks. That's how you get money, by using your body that way. Very sad. And on the flip side, I said it in the cold open, the number one hub, the highest rated, if you want to say highest rated, it's a bad way of saying it, but the highest rated per capita 
hub of sex trafficking of minors in the United States is Miami-Dade County. Yeah. Third uh, highest state in the nation is Florida, but the highest locale is Miami-Dade. And children as young as, these are the facts, children as young as nine years old are being sold into sex trafficking in America right now. It is estimated that at least 100,000 children, boys and girls, are, brought, are bought and sold for sex in the U.S. every year. In the U.S. We're not talking about uh, Afghanistan. <laughs> you know, we're not talking about France, like in the movie Taken. Right? We're talking about the good old USA. According to the USA Today, uh, an investigative report, boys make up 36% of children caught in sex trafficking, uh, 30, uh, 60% are female, 5% are transgender males and females, Every two minutes, a child in this country is exploited in the sex industry, and on average, a child might be raped by 6,000 men during a five-year period. That was the one that, that stuck out to me the most. Mm. Just, just doing the math in your head real quick, 6,000 times in a five-year period. Sick. Yeah. How many times is that a day? I can't, I can't even do the math real quick off, my head, but off the top of my head, but that's a lot. Adults purchase children for sex at least 2.5 million times a year in the United States. 2.5 million times? I didn't know it was that big of a problem. Yeah. And, and, and I should have known because we have a relationship with the Providence Rescue Mission down in Providence, Rhode Island, and, and Sean Carew, the director there, talks about how he has gone out onto the streets and literally seen the vans pull up, mm. and he has rescued the women out of sex trafficking from being, from being brought into sex trafficking in Providence, stinking Rhode Island, like yeah. down the street from us. This is happening. And you say, well, what does that have to do with uh, the halftime show? It has everything to do with it. Because, again, you can't separate the two. The human sexual uh, condition, the, hu the human heart, is, is such a deceitful organ, <laughs> emotional, spiritual organ. It is corrupt. You can't change it by saying, hashtag now, take us seriously, hashtag let's all respect women, and then do that. Yeah, Because there's going to be guys out there that are going to, no matter how much you hashtag it, are going to see it the exact opposite of the way you want it to be seen, and they're going to take advantage of it. And I, I don't, you know, you didn't see it, and I would encourage you at least to Google this picture, but there was a point where J-Lo was on stage, and they zoomed out, and there were kids sitting in these little kids. bubbles, but the bubbles were cages. Yeah. It was, they had to like oh. put the kids inside of it. So it's, it's almost like an in your face. Yeah. We know this is happening this weekend. This is the time. I mean, you're using these women to almost get people amped up and like, oh yeah, look at all that hypersexuality, but I've got a release now because I'm in here. I know I, I have access to somebody else that I can get out my sexual frustrations that I just got from watching her on stage. Yeah. You know, you're not going to sexualize them, but you yourself are going to go out of your way now. You know, you're, you're in one of those areas. You have access. This is the highest in the, in the state. In the country, yeah, you have access to it. It's, bad. it's just, it, it's really, it's an atrocity, and, and it speaks to the downturn of the morals in the country. Yeah, the, that I, I mean, you can keep going back to it all you want. It's, it's really like the lack of and the desire to get any kind of biblical knowledge away from young people. Yeah, as much and as biblical you can fight. standards, and it's, yeah. like, and it's you know they'll they'll say we're Puritans, we're fundamentalists, we're whatever, we're prudish. We're not prudish. We're, 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 we're seeking the good mm. of humankind, and that's what the biblical mandate is, to see humans flourish and not to be uh, exploited. Anyway, no matter what we say here, people are going to do what they want, unfortunately, but I'm just trying to tell you that this is what you see in culture. You've got to see the double standard. You've got to understand the arguments, and you've got to 
take these things seriously for your family, for your children, and be like Jody with the finger on the remote sometimes because you never know. And, and it's a good question for parents is, do you know what your kids are watching? Do you know what they're listening to? Do you know what's going into their ears? I thank God that my parents didn't police everything that I watched and everything that I saw. But in today's generation, I think they would have had to do a lot more of that. I grew up without the Internet. I grew up without, yeah. you know, uh, 24 hours streaming services. The fact of the matter is we're in an age where there, there is a serious battle for the minds and the spirits of our children the devil's taking this battle very seriously, way more seriously than Christian parents are and Christian churches are. Where are the pastors? Where are the leaders who are going to speak up like Franklin Graham and say, this is not healthy. This is not good. We are not for this. And we need to speak out against it. The prophets of old in the Old Testament spoke out against it, whether they were pro- po- popular or not. And we need to do the same. Anyway, that's the news. Thanks for joining me. I'm glad to be here. Hopefully I, it's not my last time. And, and definitely not your last time. And you are definitely the right man for the next gen. <laughs> so say hello to Jody. Say goodbye to Jody because we are going to head off into the book of Acts. The Deep End with Tim Hatch is made possible by contributions from listeners and viewers like you. If you would like to partner with us to support this ministry, you can go to thedeepend.tv forward slash partner or on the cash app with hashtag TV. To the book of Acts, chapter 8, and the title of this episode today, guys, is Seeing the Spirit's Work. Seeing the Spirit's Work. And the subtitle is so important, please pay attention. Don't debate the Holy Spirit. Seek to have him. (laughs) Acts chapter 8 is where we left off last week. Philip going to Samaria, the first missionary of the church. He goes to this foreign, and I say missionary because he went to a foreign field, a foreign area, and I shared in the cold open that I just come back from Guatemala. Our church is going to foreign fields as well. So exciting about that. Um, but here's the thing. He goes to the Samaritans. The Samaritans see the works of God uh, administered through the power of the Holy Spirit in Philip's life. And then we get a bunch of content in the book of Acts chapter 8 about the Holy Spirit. And we need to do something. I need you to do me a favor, dear Christian, and I'm talking especially to the longtime Christian who might be entrenched in denominational enclaves, denominational you know, uh, uh, parties, if you will, where you tend to think this is how the Holy Spirit works uh, for all time and only how the Holy Spirit works for all time, and you need to believe like us about the Holy Spirit. And, and we will debate you uh, to our dying breath that we are right about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit... And debating in the church go hand in hand. I know of which I speak because I have been in the church my whole life. I have been, I was raised Pentecostal, so the Holy Spirit was a huge part of our church. And I am very much aware of the doctrinal differences uh, throughout Protestantism uh, when it comes to the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. And when we go to the book of Acts, many times we make a huge mistake. And the mistake we make is, let me go to the book of Acts to prove to you that my view of how the Holy Spirit works is right, and your view of how the Holy Spirit works is wrong. That's not the point of Acts. That's not why God gave us this beautiful book, the fifth book in the New Testament, in the canon of Scripture in the New Testament, for us. That's not the point. The point is for us to learn who the Holy Spirit is, to, to yearn for the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, and then to operate 
and activate faith in the power of the Holy Spirit to change our world. So when it comes to the Holy Spirit, I hope you listen to what Acts is showing us and don't seek to to fine-tune your arguments for why your particular denominational view or systematic theology is right. Okay, now, a lot of this might not apply to you if you're a new believer because you are not part of the debate or you haven't heard of the debate. I'm going to introduce you to the debates so that you understand them, but I'm also going to talk to those longtime Christians who have been through these debates and these fights for years. I know we're on the radio in WEZE in Boston, so I'm sure there are many people from all walks of life who are listening to me from different denominational perspectives. So let's just get into the text, and then we'll talk about these debates and how we should rather better view the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Okay, verse 7 of Acts chapter 8. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. This is Philip working in the city of Samaria. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. Again, Philip the evangelist, Philip the table waiter from Acts chapter 6 is now preaching Christ and performing miracles in Samaria, a foreign area uh, to the Jews. And and it says this in verse 8. Notice that sentence. So there was much joy in that city. Because of what? Because the Holy Spirit was at work in Philip, the table waiter, the Holy Spirit brings joy to the city. So what is the first thing we should understand about the work of the Holy Spirit in a context? It should bring joy. (laughs) The Holy Spirit should make a city joyful. Because when people are healed, that's a good thing. When demons are cast out, that's a good thing. When people are no longer believing lies, but believing truth about who they are and who God is and who they are in God, in Christ Jesus, that's a good thing. That's going to bring joy to the inside. And I can't think of anything more necessary today in our depressed age, in our lonely age, than joy. What does the Holy Spirit do for you? He brings you joy. Now, we don't get that right. We don't get that right a lot. And the reason why is because we have our little denominational, doctrinal dogmas that we like to debate. There was a lot of Ds in that sentence. A lot of denominational, doctrinal dogmas that we like to debate. And here's one of them. It's called cessationism. Cessationism, which actually isn't even a dictionary word. It's a theological word. It's the doctrine held by many Baptists uh, and I think Presbyterians and a lot of other denominations other than charismatic and Pentecostal denominations that the Holy Spirit is still here, but he, don't, he no longer works miracles. He no longer gives gifts that are physical, like tongues or uh, the interpretation of tongues or prophecy. Uh, and he definitely doesn't do the healings and the signs and the wonders of the apostolic age that we see in the book of Acts. There, therefore, the Holy Spirit has ceased cessationism, ceased to work in these ways. And here's what I want to say. We need to cease with the doctrine of cessationism, okay? We need to cease with the doctrine of cessationism. And I want to tell you why. A couple of reasons. First, first reason being historical reasoning. Number one, do you understand that the doctrine of cessationism, that the Holy Spirit no longer works miracles in the church, was actually started by a Princeton theologian named B.B. Warfield in 1917, that he, he, he produced a, a series of lectures at Columbia Theological Seminary in South Carolina. These were later published as a book called Counterfeit Miracles. And most of the cessationist, doctrinal cessationists of today, um, 
are spiritual grandbabies of that one man who basically popularized that doctrine in the 1900s. This was not a commonly held doctrine of the church for much of church history. In fact, even the reformers of the 1500s believed that the church, of course, experienced signs and wonders and miracles, even up until the age of uh, Constantine in Rome in the 300s and 400s. And basically, what happened is, when Christianity became a legitimate religion and the state religion of Rome, uh, I think, theologically, what happened was signs and wonders ceased because the church switched gears. It became popular, it became, it became established, it became powerful, and it became rich, and it became, uh, it became influential in society, and it no longer needed to rely on the power of God so that, because it could rely on the power of politics, which is not a good thing, and miracles dwindled. And we have tons of historical data from the church that records that trajectory. Miracles started to dissipate from the 3rd and 4th century onward in Christian history. But miracles, signs, and wonders have always been a part of the church's life. Because guess what? The Holy Spirit doesn't cease working because some Princeton theologian in New Jersey decides to write a book saying the Holy Spirit stops working. The Holy Spirit has a funny way of being the Holy Spirit. (laughs) He has a funny way of being God in charge of what he's going to do. And no amount of doctrinal argument is going to change what the Holy Spirit does. But many Christians have adopted this doctrine to their own, to their own demise, unfortunately. Why wouldn't you want the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, at work, operating freely and fully in you and through you to change lives? The second thing that I want to say about cessationism is this. It automatically discredits miracles on the basis of denominational dogmatics instead of the narrative of Scripture. So whenever you think, well, this is what I was taught uh, as a child. Can I just say, whenever you hear yourself saying, well, I was always taught that, can you just ask yourself this very important question? Is what I was taught actually in Scripture? Or did somebody just kind of foist that upon me because they have this denominational affiliation that they need to toe the denominational line and they can't hold on to their credentialing unless they have that denominational uh, belief. Like, is what you were taught as a child? And I'm talking to Catholics, I'm talking to Pentecostals, I'm talking to Charismatics, I'm talking to Presbyterians, Methodists, Lutheran, everybody, the gamut of Christians out there, wherever you're from. Is what you were taught as a child or a young person or a younger Christian actually in the Bible? Or are you just listening to denominations? Because denominations tend to, you know, create these dogmas that actually aren't based on Scripture, but based on just ideas from one man, like B.B. Warfield. Be careful of this. My, my, my Bible tells me in Mark chapter 16, verse 17, not that the signs will accompany the apostles, no, Mark 16, verse 17 says this, quote, these miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. They will be able to handle snakes with safety. They will drink, if they drink anything poisonous, it will not hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick and they will be healed. Okay, those who believe, not the apostles. Those who believe is beyond just the apostles. Do the apostles believe? Yes. Does other, do other people other than the apostles believe? Yes. Should those who believe still expect signs and wonders and miracles? Yes, according to Jesus. So you have to go back to Scripture and find out what is it saying. Uh, number three, cease with sensationism, because this is the problem 
with systematic theology. Now, systematic theology is like, you know, maybe I'm speaking over your heads, but let me just tell you what it is. It's basically when somebody says, okay, let's talk about the attributes of God. God is all-knowing, and here's how we know he's all-knowing. Because of this verse over here, this verse over here, and this verse over here from three different books in the Bible, and we'll just smash them together and say, therefore, God is all-knowing. And then we will uh, say, okay, uh, Jesus is fully man from this scripture, this scripture, this scripture, smash them together, there you go, the humanity of Jesus. That's called systematic theology. Nothing wrong with it. But there is something wrong with it when you let systematic theology, in other words, categorically describing God, uh, when you let categorically describing God trump or usurp um, uh, uh, narratively knowing God. In other words, you, you don't, I don't get to know my wife based on facts about her that I have picked out from various sections of her life and smashed them together and said, there, that's who my wife is. No, I know her personally. I experience her. I talk with her. I speak with her. I live with her. The scriptures are not systematic. They are narrative. They are teaching us how to walk with God. And sometimes when we get into the systematic game, the categorizing God game, we start to create these dogmas that actually aren't in Scripture. Now, is theology important? Yes. But we have to also see how God operates in the world with humanity. That's what the Bible's actually showing us. The Bible's actually showing us how does God operate in the human realm to bring about his purposes and plan for the universe. That's what the Bible is about. The Bible is not an encyclopedia. It is not a dictionary. It is a story of God activating in our lives to change us, to bring hope, healing, and transformation to the human condition. This is what you have to realize. And so you've got to watch out for these things. By the way, I get a kick out of this. There's two relatively new doctrines in the church, and by new I mean less than 150 years old, that are very popular in the church. Those two doctrines are cessationism, the Holy Spirit no longer operates in gifts of power in the church. Cessationism is the first one. The second one is the pre-tribulation rapture. That is, that the church, before the tribulation, the final trouble of the world, tribulation, the very bad part of the end of the world happens, the church is going to be rescued by Jesus from all of it. So we don't have to worry about going through the tribulation and struggling and wrestling through uh, and suffering through for Christ when the world gets really, really dark. That, uh, that, that uh, pre-trib rapture doctrine was started by John Nelson Darby uh, in the 1800s. That is a second doctrine that is less than 150 years old. That ha- These two doctrines have become very popular in the church, and I find it hilarious <laughs> that, that this is what we're left with if you go by systematic theology. Here's what we're left with. A church with no power, because the Holy Spirit doesn't operate like that anymore, to change the world, and a church that is just waiting to escape the world when the world gets really, really, really bad. Do you you see how ridiculous this is? So the church basically, based on those two doctrines, which again, less than 150 years old and new to Christian history and really not biblical in my opinion, okay? Just bear with me if you're a pre-trib rapture person. Just bear with me. You can go back to the book of Revelation in season two of The Deep End on youtube.com slash TheDeepEndTV to see that content. But here's basically what we have 
we have created, a church that doesn't have power and just waits to get out of the world so that the rest of the world can go to hell. <laughs> I mean, it's ridiculous, and it's sad, and it's not what Scripture reveals. No, no. What Scripture reveals is the church is filled with the Holy Spirit, and even table waiters like Philip and Stephen become so empowered by the Holy Spirit they are gifted to cast out demons, work miracles, and bring transformational, visible change to a community so that the world can receive joy. Not get us out of here because we're helpless. No, let's go into the world with the power of God to change the world and bring God's goodness into the world so that the world might have joy. I like that one better. I, I like that version of reality much better than the, let's just wait until Jesus saves us because we don't have any power to do anything about how bad the world is. I think that we need to do what the book of Acts shows us. The Holy Spirit is still active in the church, friends. Yes, he can still work miracles. Yes, he can still heal through you, through you. If you want to go with denominational dogmas and reject this, be my guest. I want to be part of a dynamic church that changes the world around it. Don't you? So anyway, let's continue because there's a lot more to say here. Back to Acts chapter 8, verse 9. But, when, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. By the way, there's always somebody like that in the world. Okay, and it says verse 10, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, which I just want to underscore that for a moment. It's amazing to me what people will pay attention to. Isn't it amazing to you that the things that people pay attention to, like you, you see something on television and they're popular and they do the most ridiculous things and you think, really, really, people think that that's good? Like who was the guy, Mike, you can help me out with this. Who was the guy with the sledgehammer who used to smash the pumpkins in the, in the watermelon? Oh. Gallagher. Yeah, Gallagher, yes. Okay. People used to flood stadiums to watch him smash pumpkins. And it's like, okay, after the first pumpkin, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but people would say, well, there were, something yeah, there were watermelons involved, too. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. How many times can you see something get smashed by a big sledgehammer on stage? It's and totally this guy true. made a killing, a, a lifetime killing on smashing watermelons on stage. I, th here's what I want you to just notice from the verse there. They all paid attention to Simon because he basically just said, that he was somebody great. And that is our culture today. That is our Instagram, Instafam culture today. Instafame culture today. I say I'm great, and you will think so. Why? Because I said it. <laughs> this is well, a I mean, talk about, say, Greta, or talk about the, the Super how Bowl. How dare you? Yeah, exactly. Or, or, or the halftime show, you know, and, and everybody's raving about it. Yeah. How it's, it's a good thing. Listen to me because right. I said so. Because I said so. No, no. Yeah. So anyway, let's go on in the text. Here's what it says. Uh, they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. Again, they didn't really come up with a snazzy name there. Uh, but anyway, and they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Verse 12, but when they believed Philip as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself was baptized. Note that. Remember that for later. Even Simon himself believed and was baptized. I'm uh, sorry, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, please notice this, he was amazed. Amazed at what? Signs and miracles. 
So Simon, this guy who said, I'm great, and everybody said, yes, you are. Let's follow you. Uh, had thousands, hundreds of thousands of Instagram followers and posted pictures about himself every day, performing these little magic arts. Um, he gets caught up in the movement of Jesus in Samaria in the first century. Okay, just want to frame the context here for where we're going because watch what's going to happen here. Verse 14. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem had heard that the Samaritans, Samaritans, sorry, had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands, their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Okay. I'm going to get back to Simon in a moment, but let's bring up that great debate, another debate about the Holy Spirit in the church. It says... Very clearly in verse 15, uh, sorry, yes, verse 15 and 16, they, they came down and prayed for those who believed to receive the Holy Spirit. So they believed in Jesus, but, he had not yet, but the Holy Spirit had not yet fallen on any of them. So they prayed, they laid their hands on them to receive the Holy Spirit, and they had a, listen, secondary and subsequent experience with the Holy Spirit after having believed in Jesus. There is this theme that we are picking up in the book of Acts of a secondary experience wherein the Holy Spirit fills you and empowers you after belief in Jesus. This is a theme that happened with the first apostles and the disciples. They believed the Lord Jesus was resurrected. He breathed on them in John chapter 20, received the Holy Spirit, but they weren't filled with power and signs and wonders until Acts chapter 2. Secondarily, they experienced the Holy Spirit. This also happens in Acts chapter 8 here. It will happen again in Acts chapter 19. Uh, and it will happen in Acts chapter 13. Um, sometimes with tongues being mentioned, people speaking in tongues, sometimes with no tongues being mentioned. Like Paul is filled with the Holy Spirit, and we don't see any record of it saying, and then he spoke in tongues. Although he does speak in tongues according to his own testimony from 1 Corinthians. However, in Acts chapter 13, no mention of tongues. Um, in Acts chapter 4, no mention of tongues when they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Uh, anyway, the point that I'm trying to make here is we debate. Here's the debate. Well, don't I get the fullness of the Holy Spirit the moment that I believe in Jesus? Well, the Holy Spirit does take up residence in you, but there's definitely secondary experiences. Now, some Pentecostals and Charismatics, because I know, because I was one, they believe it's called baptism in the Holy Spirit, secondary, sec secondary to salvation. And I, I still kind of believe that, all right? I, I, I don't know if I call it always baptism in the Holy Spirit. I call it the infilling of the Holy Spirit, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit that comes upon you and might perform miracles and wonders in your life at that moment, such as speaking in tongues, prophecy, and other gifts of the Holy Spirit. It does happen after you believe. And it also can happen when you believe. Like in Acts chapter 10, we're going to see when Peter speaks at Cornelius' house, the Holy Spirit falls as soon as they believe in Jesus and they start speaking in tongues. Okay. Instead of, here, here, here's my point. Instead of debating whether or not there's a secondary experience with the Holy Spirit after believing in Jesus and whether or not we should always speak in tongues when we receive the Holy Spirit or not, which we love to debate in our denominational dogmas, here's my suggestion. Why don't we just seek the power of the Holy Spirit. Why don't we just acknowledge that there is this regular, regularly attested to experience in the church through the narrative of the book of Acts. That's why I said narrative, narrative scriptural interpretation, story, 
wherein the Holy Spirit empowers believers in Jesus for signs, miracles, and wonders in a later moment of their lives. I, I, I'd rather us do that instead of debate, instead of toe-denominational distinctions for the sake of being right. Okay, now, when it comes to the when, does it happen when you believe? Does it happen after you believe? Does it happen two years? Does it happen three years? I don't know. I would ask you to seek it and pray for it and say, God, fill me with the Holy Spirit that I might do what you want me to do and need me to do in my context. I, I, I want to lay hands on sick and see them healed. I want to pray and see miracles happen in my world, in my life. I, I, I want to prophesy and speak God's word over people. Why wouldn't you want to do that? Why, why, why wouldn't you rather do that? Now, now concerning, now this is why I say I'm careful about the word baptism in the Holy Spirit. Here's why. Because in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13, here's what it says. It says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to, to drink of one spirit. The spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ upon salvation. Um, but here's what it means. Here's what it really is about based on that verse itself in verse 13. Jews or Greeks, slave or free. Why does he talk about that? Because he's saying, no matter who you are, okay, there's, there's no greater division in the, in the biblical narrative than Jews and Gentiles, okay, or Jews and Greeks. And there's no, there's no bigger um, distinction in the culture today than slaves and free. Uh, you know, today we would call it employees and employers or CEOs and, you know, uh, low-level wage owners, uh, workers in the world. The great distinction. Here's what, here's what Paul's saying in 1 Corinthians 12, 13. The great divisions and distinctions of humankind are destroyed through the baptism of the Spirit into the body of Christ. Here's the point. What we see in the book of Acts is this. The, the apostles come down to Samaria to pray for them to receive the Holy Spirit so that they might be, listen, united into the body of Christ. The former distinction of Jews and Samaritans, that great hostility, that great division of, of cultures wherein they hated each other, were antagonistic to each other, debated each other about theology and, and where to worship and how to worship and who to worship and what Bible scriptures to listen to and what Bible scriptures to ignore. Those great debates, all that division, annihilated, destroyed, dis, brought down through the Holy Spirit. That is what brings you joy when God brings you in to the family and makes you one, makes you united in Christ, which is entirely ironic that we go to the book of Acts to argue and debate doctrines of the Holy Spirit when, in fact, the work of the Holy Spirit is intended to bring us together. I hope I'm being clear. I hope you're catching this because this is so important. This is so important. Don't get caught up in the denominational debates. Seek the power of the Holy Spirit and receive the fullness of the Holy Spirit so that you might be brought in together with other believers in unity. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's the purpose of the Holy Spirit. Joy, unity, power. Joy, unity, power. Okay, we have to move on. Verse 18. Now, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. I just want you to note, Simon saw something. So they laid hands and they saw something. It doesn't mention uh, tongues, but something happened. 
there was this visible manifestation of the Spirit coming upon the Samaritans' believers that was so impressive that Simon says, <laughs> sorry, Simon says stop. Okay. Simon says stop laughing. Simon says, I want to do this. Um, what do I need to pay to get that power? Verse 19, saying, Giving, give me this power also so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Okay. Let's go back to Simon now because this is going to counterbalance what I shared about signs and wonders. There is a negative part to signs and wonders in the church, and that is this. Some people will be fans of the gifts and not disciples of the Son. I hope you understood what I just said that when the church experiences the power of the Holy Spirit, the unintended consequences might be that some people just want the benefits of the power of the Holy Spirit, but they don't want to receive the actual inward work of the Holy Spirit upon their hearts, the heart change. What we have here is Simon saying, I, I, I like that. I, I want that. So I will, I will pay you money to have that power. Because people will think much of me if I have that power. And, and this, is, this is how Peter responds. Just, just notice <laughs> how Peter responds. I, I like to see people have Peter as their pastor because he was not, he was a straight shooter. He was the guy that said it like it was. And here's what he says. Verse 20, Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you. Okay, uh, Greek language note here. It literally, in the Greek, could be read, to hell with you and your money. <laughs> That's the, the Greek could be literally rendered like that. The, the, the English translations clean it up so that we're not offended. But literally, P Peter is saying, to hell with you and your money. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money? You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart, please note this. Oh, this is important. Your heart is not right before God. Mm -mm. Verse 20, repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your, there it is again, your heart may be forgiven. The intent of your heart may be forgiven you, for I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Okay. The role of the Holy Spirit is being beautifully narrated here for us. Here you have the Holy Spirit working signs and wonders through this lowly table waiter named Philip. It catches the attention of a guy named Simon who is very important and very celebrated in his context. The apostles come, they lay hands, they, and, and the whole community, something tremendously visible happens in the community, and Simon wants to purchase the power that performed that work. And Peter says to him, your heart is jacked up. In other words, he's saying, you want the power of the Holy Spirit, but you don't want the power of the Holy Spirit to do what it's intended to do, which is change your heart. It, it, it must be noted that Simon was baptized. Please listen very carefully. 
very carefully to all the people who have been baptized and assume that because you were baptized when you were an infant or a child or an adult years ago, that you surely are part of the church. Simon was baptized in water. He was going to church. He loved it. He enjoyed it. He thought it was awesome. But his heart was in the bond of iniquity, (laughs) and he needed forgiveness of sins. And there are many in the church today who are in the exact same place. They love the benefits of the church. They love the, the work of the church, the, maybe the, 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 the blessing that the church provides to their house, their family, their lives, but they don't want God to change their hearts. Lots of people like this. Lots of people like this. They are, they're called false believers. And we are in Scripture warned about false believers constantly. We are never warned against unbelievers in Scripture. We are never warned. I know, I know Christians are always so scared of unbelievers. Oh my gosh, unbelievers, they're going to get us, they're going to get us. Oh my gosh, unbelievers. And Scripture never says, watch out for unbelievers. You know, no. You know what Scripture says? Scripture says, watch out for false believers. Watch out for people who pretend to be in the faith and they are not in the faith. Those are the people you got to watch out for, not unbelievers. Unbelievers can't touch you. They can't touch you, who you are in God. They can't take you away from God. No one can. But false believers, they can jack you up. And they are abounding in the church of America today. They are people who love the benefits of the church, but they don't love the Jesus of the church. And we've got to be so careful about that. Now, this is nothing new because the apostles talked about this. 1 John 2.19, he says, They went out from us, but they were not of us. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might be complained that they are not of us. In other words, there are a lot of people who are professing Christians who are not actually Christians. Jesus talked about this in Matthew chapter 13, verse 20. He says, There was some seed that was sown on rocky ground. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root in himself. He endures for a while. When tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, he immediately falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, he is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, Simon, choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. There are many like Simon in the church. They like the superficial benefits of the church or the Lord or the work of the Holy Spirit, but they don't love the Lord. Simon's devotion to Jesus is completely materialistic and self-centered. He lacked conviction of sin and a desire for heart change. He was a classic opportunist. In other words, and in fact, uh, the church has coined a a, a word, simony. It means, it describes an activity or refers to an activity seeking to to obtain church office through bribery, simony. And I want to say that the spirit of Simon is alive and well in the church of today, and you need to watch out for it in yourself. You need to watch out for it in yourself. I think of some examples today where we get more attracted to the superficial realities of the church than the Jesus of the church. Uh, in our kind of church where I pastor, it's a rock and roll church. You know, we got the stage, we got the lights, we got the, the, the haze, we got the crowd, we got all that stuff. <clears throat> and there are some people that love being on the stage, but they don't love Jesus. They love the attention of people watching them sing, or they love using their gift to sing, but they don't love Jesus. And I know we, we can find out that their heart's not in it because the moment we say, hey, you're not going to be singing for a while, they're gone. Or, hey, you know what? 
you were great for a season, but we're going to move on. We're going to actually have this person take your position because, you know what, it's time that we move in this direction. And they just freak out, and they say, ah, I'm done with the church. And they walk out, and they are never seen again. What did they serve? Did they serve the Lord, or did they serve the position the Lord could give them, like Simon? Or I think about in the olden days when they used to put plaques on pews donated by certain very influential financially uh, inf- influential families. You know, this, this pew was donated by such and such a family. Well, did the family need the plaque on the pew to get the credit? Why? Isn't there credit in heaven? Doesn't Jesus have a reward waiting for them? What is up with that? I don't understand that. Let's call this chapel the blank chapel, named after the guy who gave us the boatload of money to build it. Well, did the guy actually need the name on the building to give the money so that he could get the credit? So in other words, is he using the church for his own glorification like Simon here? Or is he or she, let's not be gender specific here, is he or she uh, really in love with the Lord and therefore gives their money freely to the church regardless of the praise or acclaim they could get or garner from such gifts simply because their hearts have been changed about how they see money? <clears throat> or I think about political power. When the church gains political power, watch out for this, it can miss Christ because it's more interested in using and leveraging political power for its own ends rather than letting Jesus change their hearts so that they can be a change in the world organically. Uh, This is such an important point. Examine yourself, friend. Do you love the Lord? Do you, and here's here's the question, do you want him to change your heart? Or do you just want him to make you special? Like, that's really the question. Do you want God to bless you in heart change, in transformation? Because a lot of people, and there's a lot of Christians out there, they no longer want to challenge people's hearts. They no longer want to speak to morality and righteousness and, and ethical standards in the church based on heart transformation enacted upon them through the power of the Holy Spirit so that the people can see in the culture in which they live that they are different. Do we want that? Or do we just want what the church can give us? Simon was baptized, but he was not saved. He was influential, but he was not in the faith. He he looked important, but he was on the outside looking in to the work of God. Very important passage. Verse 24 you got to love this about Simon. He responds. Simon answered, pray, to me, pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Thankfully, Simon is, is sincere in his repentance here. And we don't have a record of what happens with Simon. We don't. The, the story stops right there. And you almost kind of want to know, well, what happened with Simon? Did he become a faithful follower of Jesus? Did he change? We don't know. What we do know is that we are made to see ourselves in the text and answer that question for ourselves. When we are challenged, and I'm talking to those who love importance in the church. I'm talking to those who love prestige, titles, position, the stage, the microphone, whatever. Is your your number one ambition in Christ that the Holy Spirit unites you to his body, changes your heart, and then empowers you to be a force for good in the world? Or is it just about what you can get out of 
the church? Very important question. The passage that we're going to, we're going to stop here in verse 25. Now, when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of who? Of the Samaritans. This is wonderful because these are the apostles now. This is the they here is the apostles. So this is the real win of Acts chapter 8. What is the win? <clears throat> the apostles who formerly being being devout, 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 devout Jews and would have scorned the Samaritans and avoided them like the plague because they were different than them, they're now embracing them. They're now intentionally going to their villages and talking about Jesus and bringing the hope of the gospel to them because here is the true work of the Holy Spirit. Here it is. Inner joy and unification in the gospel. You and strangers are brought together as family through the work of the Holy Spirit. And at the end of the day, that's what you need in our overly isolated, depressed, lonely, and medicated society. We need more than ever the work of the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, to baptize us into the body of Christ, unite us with people who are unlike us in the gospel so that we can receive the joy of the Lord in the presence of one another and in the presence of Christ. I close this episode by asking you to check yourself. Have you let, number one, have you let denominational dogma subconsciously limit you from God's best, God's power, God's work in you? Is what you were taught as a child actually in the Bible, or are you just assuming that person who taught you that was right and they weren't? Number two, have you truly accepted Christ as your Savior who frees you from your sins? The first thing he wants to do in you is change your heart, not, not make you special, okay? He wants to change your heart. And then number three, are you seeking the power of the Holy Spirit to change you and your world? So in other words, that yes, you say, I want the Holy Spirit to change me, and then do you seek the power, the infilling? Call it whatever you want. Pentecostals, I don't care. Call it baptism of the Holy Spirit. I don't care what you call it. Just seek it. Go after the Holy Spirit to change you, to change your life, to change your family, to change your marriage, to change your kids, to change your parents, to change your life, to change the world. Okay, that's, that's what we should be about. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to ask me anything at 508-316-9333 anonymously or at ask at deepend.tv. I always love your questions. Please ask away, and someday on a future episode, we'll get to them. Subscribe on youtube.com slash thedeependtv. I can't say that enough. Subscribe on youtube.com slash thedeependtv. Get the notification bell clicked so that you can get updates right to your smartphone device as to when we are live. Because when I am live, I want to see you watching and learning and growing in Christ because that's what this is all about. The world needs more of Jesus. The world needs more of the Holy Spirit. The world needs more joy. Amen? I hope this has been a joy for you. I will see you next week on The Deep End. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of The Deep End Podcast. We pray it helps you grow in your faith and in your walk with Christ. If you don't already have a home church, we invite you to come out to one of our campuses this weekend. Check us out at waterschurch.org to find a location near you and a service time that fits your schedule. Make sure to stay tuned for next week's episode of The Deep End Podcast.